Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So welcome to church. And some of y'all see the pews and you're like, that's the church I remember there's something about the nostalgia. If y'all could smell these pews, they, they smell like they look. Uh, they've been through some stuff. I remember as a kid sitting in pews just like this. The amount of hours I spent sitting here, let me be honest. My dad was a pastor, so I heard my dad preach every weekend. But I had some of the best naps of my childhood laying across pews just like, like this. I rolled underneath them back and forth. And like I said last week, man, if you got a little, little hankering for some sugar, you go find one of those old ladies who got them hard candies in their purse and you quietly like a ninja try to open it. So my, in my situation, my dad didn't look down and give me the eye from the pulpit. See, this is sort of what I remember with church. Sunday nights for us, we used to do something called a hymn sing. And I don't know if it was that my dad didn't know what he was going to preach on, so we just said, let's sing the whole time. I don't know what he did, but we would sing all songs on Sunday nights, and what they would do is just say, call out a hymn, and people would call out the classics, Amazing Grace, um, they'd call out uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, they'd call out the classics, and as a teenager, I would get bored, so I would go find the most obscure hymn I could find I've never heard of, and I'd be like... Uh, 372, and this poor volunteer song leader and piano player would turn there, and he'd be like, okay, we're going to sing our blessed fount for our iniquities from our Lord Jesus' blood, and they'd try to sing. They don't even know the melody, and I'd just die in the back. You know, I, 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 I did not appreciate hymns as a kid. Can I be honest? Like, when we sung these songs as a kid, I was like, whatever, let's get through this, and then I get older. And there's something about the theological gravity of these songs. Like these, these songs tell us where we came from. These are our spiritual roots. It's how faith was handed down to us generation after generation. And the songs that we sung handed faith to us. It's why, it's why we're going so crazy for camp next week is because we want to hand our faith down to the next generation just like my parents did for me and their parents did for them. And so as we sit inside of this series in the month of July, we're singing the songs that handed faith down to me. And so if you were here last week and we sung Crown Him with Many Crowns, talked about the King, man, Jesus is King. And today, since I get to pick the song, I pick one of my favorites. Today, we're going to sing Blessed Assurance. Come on now. We're going to take you to church. In fact, here's what I want to do. And we don't do this often. Here and across all the campuses, 12 Stone Home Online, we're going to join our voices together, all of us. Think about this. At the same second, at the same time, across eight campuses, across the country, across the world, we're all going to lift up one song instantaneously together. So here's what I want to do. Cross the campuses, 12 and home. Let's stand up together. And we're going to sing via this unbelievable technology of internet streaming. We're going to sing in one voice at one time to the God who made a way for us to have the blessed assurance of Jesus. So Ansley, would you take us to church? Let's go, church. What a friend he's been, right? What a savior he's been. So we get to sing about it. We get to testify about it. Why don't you sing it with us? Oh, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. I'm washed in his blood. Oh, this is my 
There's a savior. So this is now your story. It's not just his story. It's our story. And we get to sing this like it's ours. So I want us collectively, let's just do like a down chorus collectively across the church. All voices together. Sing it like you know it's your story. Sing it like you know he's victorious on the cross. He conquered sin and death. It is his. Now it is yours. So let's worship together. Sing it up. Let's lift our voices in praise. So let's sing that. This is my story. Raise your voices. Come on. This is my song. Praise it. Praising my Song, thank you, Jesus. I'm 
stay standing for one more minute. Last weekend, we sung the hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns, celebrated the fact that we revere our King, that Jesus is on the throne, and he is to be revered and feared and to give honor and glory to him. And then we hear this song, and it feels like you're talking about a different God. (laughs) Like from king to this, Tim Keller says it this way. I love this quote. Put that up there for us. If not, there we go. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. That's the same God we talked about last week, but because of Jesus, I want to read Hebrews to you. I'm going to put it up there, but I want to read it from my Bible. I've read from this Bible for years. There's history in this thing. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, somebody say confidence. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Someone say draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That is why we have access. That's why we get to sing that song. Can we thank the choir? Can we thank the band? Thank you for leading us. Thank you for leading us to the throne today. Across the campuses, if you can handle it, grab a seat. If you need to stand the whole service, that's cool. Just go to the side walls so you don't block some of the shorter folks behind you. Man, I, I love songs like this because they, they, they give us truth. That they say it in a way that's just different than how we write songs today. Not good or bad, it's just, it's just different. And this song was written in the 1800s. Anybody know who wrote it? Just curious. Across the campuses here. Anybody shout it out if you know it. All right, so we got to pause. The name of the author of this song, I'm a middle school boy at heart, and I'm going to chuckle every time I say her name, and so I need all of us to be mature and not laugh, okay? Can Can we agree to grow up today? Can we agree to act our age today? Some of you act older than your age. Her name was Fanny Crosby, all right? Then the word Fanny when I was growing up was not a first name. The only time I heard the word Fanny growing up was in church from my grandmother when she angry whispered to me. Anyone remember that in church where your parents or grandparents would angry whisper? You sit your, sit your Fanny down. Remember that? Like you don't want everyone to hear it, but you're angry as a parent. She'd say, sit your Fanny down or I'm going to take it outside. I'm going to spank that Fanny. Like that's how I heard the word, but that's her first name, okay? So let's grow up, not be that guy. Let's be older than middle school kids. So Fanny Crosby, she wrote some 8,000 hymns. Talk about a prolific songwriter. Like, she, she wrote all these songs over the years. She was born March 24th, 1820, over 200 years ago. Here's what's interesting about her story. It's tragic. When she was six weeks old, she went to a doctor that was not well-trained for an eye problem, and he put this salve on her eyes that literally blinded her from six weeks old on. Couldn't see the rest of her life. She was blind. It happened early enough where she has no memory of sight. Like she has not even like a reference point for what like a tree looks like. A reference point for what her family looks like. Her whole life, she was blind. And one day, the date of the year was 1873. She went over to her friend's house who was something of a musician and her friend had just sort of picked out this new tune on the piano that you just heard. And she asked her, fr- her friend, Fanny, Fanny, what does this song say? And Fanny Crosby knelt down and prayed and stood back up and said, this song, you know what it says? It says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. She sat there and penned this song. It just sort of flowed out of her. 
And here's what's fascinating. Fanny Crosby died at 95 years old, February 12th, 1915. I was born February 11th, 1982. So she died 66 years and 364 days before I was born, and yet her faith was passed down to me. Isn't that fascinating? The beauty of our legacy of faith, of these people who followed Jesus. And, and when she wrote this song, it was so personal. In fact, I want you to see the pronouns that we just sung in this song. It, it struck me. She said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story, and this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. It, it fascinates me how personally and confidently she wrote these lyrics, and the, the, the picture she was describing of her relationship with God through Jesus was like she was talking about a friend. Like most hymns in that time were big, bombastic pictures of a mighty fortress is our God. And she's over here saying, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. Like, that's my homeboy. I love him. Like, that's, she's talking like normal language in the song. And you, you look at that and go, the way she describes her relationship to Jesus doesn't feel like the way I would describe my relationship. You might be stuck back in last weekend going, I revere God. I fear God. There's a reverence for him, but the relationship like that, it just doesn't feel the same way for me. In fact, let me give you a picture for what your faith journey might feel more like. Have you ever asked somebody to borrow something from them, and then you were super insecure about using it because you didn't want to break it? Can we be honest? You borrow a friend's car, their weed whacker, their lawnmower. When I borrow something from somebody, I get insecure. Because the last thing I want to do is carry it back over like something broken and be like, how do I make this right? Two weeks ago, I sort of borrowed a house. Now, stay with me. So my brother-in-law is like the most networked dude ever. He knows everybody. So early in June, he calls me. and He's like, dude, I got a friend who's got a house down on Lake Sinclair. And he's like, dude... We're not going to be there for a week. Just come use it. And my brother-in-law, because he's a good brother-in-law, is like, can I bring my brother and his family? The guy's like, yeah, I don't care. Bring them. So I get like grafted into this thing. I'm like, cool, I'll be there. So we drive down. We get to this, this house on the lake. And the house was nothing to speak of, a little bit old, a little bit musty. So I'm like, this could be rough. Then I go to the backyard. And it was apparent that he spent all his money on toys for the water, not the house. So I look, and he's got a ski boat, like a wake boat more expensive than all my cars together. Like he, he, he has like jet skis and a pontoon. Like he's got this thing set up tubes and, and wakeboards and all the stuff. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And the guy was good enough friends with my brother-in-law. He said, I'll just drive over. I'll show you how to use everything. And when he showed up, this was my disposition. Hey, listen, sir, sir, thank you so much for letting us use your stuff. Listen, I will not go over five miles an hour in your boat. I will not. I will, is there an RPM rating you'd like me to stay underneath on the boat? I, would do, I, would, I don't want to break it. Like the tubes. Or I won't, I'll just use one tube. So if you break it, I can replace it. I won't even use your wakeboards. Like I was excusing myself because I'm so nervous because it's not my stuff. And here's what he said. He said, dude, 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 stop, 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 stop. And he looked me right in the eyes. He said, bro, this stuff is yours for the next five days. Like, don't, don't treat it like with kid gloves. Use it like you own it. And I'm like, you don't understand. I drive things like I stole them. And he's like, no, 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 so do I. He's like, so you can't hurt it. He's like, I mean, let me open the closet. Opens the closet, shows me all the tubes, all the wakeboards, all the, the ropes and the life jackets and all the stuff. He's like, this is all yours for the week. I can't tell you the freedom it gave me to go, are you sure? He said, yeah. I said, what if I scrape it against? He's like, don't care. I've already scraped it. What if I, if, I, if I blow this thing up? He's like, don't care. I've already blown it up, replaced it twice. Don't care. It's yours. Listen, many of our relationships with God are like me when I showed up. Hey, God, um, I'm just going to pray real quick. I'm going to get out of here. I don't want to bother you. I know you got stuff going on. I know you're, you're king and you're over all things and you're busy and you got stuff going on. I'm just going to, like, I'm not even going to look up at you, but just, if I could just borrow a little bit of this and I'll get out of your way. And what scripture tells us, what God tells us is 
You don't have to treat your faith like it's something borrowed that you can break or lose or mess up. It's, it is something that God said, listen, it is yours in Christ Jesus. What that song celebrates is the blessed assurance that Jesus is, in fact, mine. You're not nervously borrowing something or fearfully hoping for something. He says you have the blessed assurance that you are a purchase of God. And when he owns you, and when you bow your life to him, you don't have to act like a renter. You don't have to act like a borrower. You get to act like a son or a daughter. My kids don't have to ask to come in the house because they're in the family. They don't have to act weird. I wish sometimes they would, like, Papa, can I please have some of your delicious food? They don't. They don't have to. It wouldn't hurt to, like, every once in a while, but they don't have to because they're my, they're my kids. What's mine is theirs. You see, here's, here's what I want you to see. Through Jesus, his story is my story. That song is not just a well-written tag that's memorable. It's theologically true. In fact, I want to read you perhaps the most consequential verse in all of Scripture. Like this is a verse that flips the world on its head. The theological term for this verse is the double imputation. You don't have to write that down. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a mouthful. I want to unpack this. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin. What is he saying? That on the cross, Jesus literally took our sin from us and put it on himself. He became sin. And he received the punishment for sin, which is death. He took all of our mess and all of our sinfulness and all of our wickedness and selfishness and pride and arrogance and deception and lies and all the stuff that no one around you knows, but he does. Jesus took it. It imputed onto Jesus. Jesus took it. And that would be good enough. But the verse continues. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So in turn, we give Jesus our sin, and Jesus in turn gives us his righteousness. What? Like, this is the best deal ever. It's like you go to a restaurant, and you eat all the food, and the bill goes to someone who didn't get a bite. Like, this is the gospel, that, that because of this, Jesus' story now becomes your story, because he took your story on himself and paid the price. And then said, by the way, I'm going to give you the story that I deserve. You get my righteousness. When God looks at you, he sees his son. You're covered in the blood of Jesus before God Almighty. By the way, next weekend, I'm going to talk about why the church talks about blood so much. <laughs> you notice that? If you're new to church, you're like, why do you keep saying blood to strangers? This is weird. Like, don't say blood. Next week, I'm going to tell you why we do. But this verse tells us. And because of Jesus, your st Jesus' story is now my story. We traded our sinful story for Christ's righteous story. And you're like, that's cool. Who cares? How does that affect tomorrow? Listen, some of you, your story, for most of us, in fact, our story has been handed down from family See, when we look back at him, we don't just look back at the good stuff. Some of us look back at the tough stuff. For you, your, your story's family might be, your family story might be that of divorce. Let's just be honest. Your grandfather was divorced. Your dad was divorced. Your aunts and uncles got divorced. You have siblings that were divorced. That might have been your family story, but that doesn't have to be your story in Jesus. Listen, your, your, your family story might be that of addiction. 
Or man, you just got that propensity to addiction and substances and you look and go, man, alcohol destroyed my grandfather and my, my dad and my mom and, and it doesn't have to be your story in Christ Jesus. Listen, maybe your family's story was anger and emotional disconnectedness and flying off the handle and no one could, could settle in in the house when you were a kid because you never knew when mom would lose it or dad would lose it or grandpa would lose it. That doesn't have to be your story in Christ Jesus. Maybe your, your story is that of laziness or passivity and you had a dad that was the drink beer and watch football and go, hey kids, and that was all you got from him. You never heard him speak into your life or pour in. And you're a dad now going, I'm, I'm doomed and destined to repeat his story. No, you're not because your story doesn't have to be your family story. It can be Jesus' story written through you in, in Jesus. Maybe, maybe your story doesn't have to be what was handed down to you. Maybe your story can be what was imputed to you through Jesus. You see, I pray that when I pass from this earth, the story of Barry will be attached to things of God's kingdom. But a hundred years ago, the Barry name was not attached to those things. See, if my story would have just been handed down to me, my story would be one of alcoholism, drunkenness, uncontrolled anger, no emotional connection with my wife and kids, physical and emotional abuse of those closest to me. That was my great-grandfather. But my grandfather, he broke the cycle because he met Jesus. And you know what his story became? He never got more than eighth grade, eighth grade education, but he was the wisest man I've ever met in my life. You know what his story became? He left the family business and started to be, uh, God called him to be a pastor, and he pastored these tiny little churches his whole life and didn't get recognition or fame or big stages or social media didn't exist, but he certainly didn't have it, and yet he stayed faithful to his wife till the end. Three of his four boys became pastors. I'm a third generation pastor because my grandfather realized that his story didn't have to be the story his family handed down to him. His story could be the story of Jesus written in his life. And listen, it might have ran in your family, but it ran in your family until it ran into you. And what Jesus does is he can break the cycles and he can break the dysfunction and sinfulness. And what that song celebrates is that because of Jesus, his story can become our story. And if his story is our story, it gets even better because it doesn't stop with just salvation. Salvation is the starting line of this beautiful journey in the kingdom of God. It doesn't start with just his story. It doesn't stop with just his story. If this was a television ad, I'd say, wait, wait, there's more. For three easy installments, not really. But, but if I was on TV, that's what I'd do. But there, there's more to this than just his story. Listen, through Jesus, his promises become our promises. Is not just that, that you're adopted into the family and you can see the king of the universe also as your dad. And it's not just that your story can be rewritten and the cycle can be broken. God has promises that we now can claim as our promises. And if you don't see the theology right, that feels presumptuous and assumptive. Well, that's not my, like some of you are offended even at the pronoun, my promises. Like, bro, that's just that you're taking scripture and you're twisting it. That just doesn't feel right to me because you're not seeing theology correctly. You're not seeing the invitation God has for you. The song we sung is not just a smart, clever, clever chorus. It is the offer of God to anyone who follows him. His promises can become our promises. Here's, again, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, 2 Corinthians for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Here's what the author is simply saying. Listen, all the promises that God has made for all of time, they are yes in Christ. 
They're not yes in your good deeds, not yes in your good works, not yes as long as you don't miss church. It's yes as long as you follow Christ and your new creation in him. And our job is to speak the amen, the agreement over it, but it's God's job to deliver on the promises he gave us. Listen, when my, when my kids are like on a work day, like, Dad, will you come play football? I'm like, I can't, I'm working. But listen, tomorrow's my day off. I'll come play football with you. It does not bother me one bit when they come up to me the next day and say, Dad, you promised to play football. I go, that's right, let's go play football. It doesn't bother me because I made the promise. See, when God makes a promise to us, it does not bother him when we bring it back to him. He doesn't forget them like I do. It doesn't bother him because he's your father and saying, yes, I made the promises. God made some 7,000 promises in scripture. And you will be hard pressed to not find a promise of God for any circumstance you're facing. Now, before I make this practical, I need to step aside and say, now, listen, don't make this weird. Like, People can take promises of God and flip them and make them all kinds of weird and messy. And, and things like Matthew 6, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that God will clothe you better than the flowers of the field. And that is true. And you can take that and go, well, if that's what he said, I'll tell you what that means. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be wearing Gucci and Louis Vuitton. That's how you dress better than the flowers of the field. I claim it. That's not what God's saying in that moment. This is not name it and claim it theology. This is not prosperity gospel. This is, this is not making it weird. It's simply rising our expectations to the promises he gave. So don't make it weird. See it in my house. Let me tell you how this plays out. My wife is the queen of God's promises. Like she's like a... She, she's, I was going to say a dog searching for a bone, but that's, she's not a dog. She's very pretty. She is, she, she's like a detective that has a whatever, not a dog illustration. So she, she loves looking for God's promises. So when my kids hit seasons of life where they hit stuff. It's a new school. They don't have friends. They feel lonely. They feel insecure about how they look or how they're perceived by their friends. My wife will go and find a promise of God. And she'll write it on their bathroom mirror. She'll write it on a post-it note. It'll be on the whiteboard on the fridge. Our fridge is stainless steel. You can just write it on the fridge itself. If you look around my house, you could look around and go, okay, someone's struggling with insecurity. And look around. Okay, someone's feeling, someone's got fear going on right now, don't they? You could look at our house and decide what are we struggling with because my wife puts promises of God all over the place. And she says, listen, Luke, when you're going through that, I want you to remember Here's the verse. Here's God's promise to you, Luke. And you pray that and you memorize that and you sit in that. Every time you walk to brush your teeth in the mirror, you remind yourself that this is God's promise to you. And she does this all over the house. Because because of Jesus, God's promises are our promises. You don't have to treat this like I did at the lake house. Now, God, I know you said that, that you will never leave me for, for, nor forsake me. I'm not going to hold you to that. But just if a little, if you could just, okay, goodbye, God. Like, you don't, you don't have to be insecure with it. He made the promise. See, here's what's interesting. Fanny Crosby, don't laugh. Fanny Crosby, the author of the song, she was blind. So she could not read the Bible. Think about that. And there were no podcasts or audio versions of the Bible back then that she could just throw on on her iPad or iPod or iPhone or whatever and listen to it. So she had a grandmother that would read scripture to her. And she'd sit there and just absorb it and memorize scripture. So she had the Bible in her brain at all times because she knew I can't grab it when I need it. So I want you to read it to me and I'll memorize it so it's in me. And listen, I'm going to walk through Seven of the 7,000 plus promises of God with the hope that I want to teach you how do you treat God's promises like they're actually yours, not somebody else's, not distant, but your promises. And what Fanny Crosby did is she memorized them. You might need to find one of these seven and go, listen, that's the circumstances I'm in. And you just get your phone out, take a picture. Write down the, the passage of scripture and you go sit in that and meditate on that and pray that back to God. Listen, how, how do you actually engage the promises of God? It's no more complicated than what Amber does for our kids. Simply 
You have, you have to humbly and honestly identify your need and his promise. So it starts with what's your need? What's your circle? Like, what, what do you need? Oh, you, you're perfectly good. Everything's fine all the time. Write a book. I'll buy it. That sounds awesome. But for the rest of us, there's things we need. So identify humbly what is your need. And then there's a corresponding promise to your need. Then secondly, you memorize it. Say, God, I'm going to internalize this verse. I'm going to memorize it. And then you pray his promise until God delivers. And sometimes God can deliver in an instant. And you go, well, I memorized that for nothing. Not really. You'll need it again later. Sometimes it's a day. Sometimes it's a week. It's a year. There are promises that I pray every week that I won't see play out for decades. Parents, there are promises you're praying over your kids you will not see come to fruition until they're 30, 40. I'm praying for the future spouses of all my kids. God, help them. Take them deep right now because they're going to need your strength. I'm praying for that, and I won't see the fulfillment of that promise until their wedding day. So I pray until. And you pray it back to God. And the scripture we read, 2 Corinthians, there's something about us speaking it. And it's interesting, it says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us, but to the glory of God. There's something about us saying it out loud. God, I want to pray your promise back to you. Because listen, I need a promise that's bigger than my problems. And I need a certainty that's better than my circumstances. And when I hit stuff, this is what I do. I'm not, this did not come from some book that I'm like, hey, this sounds good, I'll read it. This is what I do. When I hit stuff... This is how I approach God with my problems, my pressures, my pain, my disappointment, my confusion. And maybe if you would approach God with the confidence like the song said and like the scripture promises, you would experience something new and deeper and richer in Christ. So let me just go through some of these and just illustrate. This is not an exhaustive list. Let me just illustrate how this plays out. Maybe you struggle with forgiveness. And personally, you carry shame and guilt. Like if you're a firstborn or a perfectionist, like when you mess up, it affects you different. And you just carry the shame and guilt, and you're like, there's no way God wants to see my face right now. There's no way that this thing's going to be okay. There's no way. You don't know how to forgive yourself sometimes. If that's you, let me give you a verse. Here's what it says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when you sit in that cycle of sin, shame, sin, shame, and you're like, I don't know how to feel released from the guilt and shame. Any sin you confess, he will forgive. You offer that promise back to God. God, you promised if, then you will Maybe, maybe you struggle with freedom from sin, and you're stuck in this habitual place where you're like a dog going back to its vomit, as the Bible says, yuck, where you just can't break the cycle of addiction, or you go back to places where you're like, I, that's not who I want to be anymore, and you feel the chains to sin, and you're like, there, there, there's no path to freedom. I'll never be free from that sin Here's a promise you might need to sit in and bring back before God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's freedom in Christ. When he conquered death on the cross, he conquered sin on the cross. And he can give you his story and his power over sin. Here's another one. There, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is not something I made up. I don't have to back this promise. He does. If you say, God, I don't want that. I don't want to keep sitting there. He will give you a way out. Offer that before God. God, you promised this. Listen, maybe, maybe you're in seasons where you feel alone and isolated. Maybe you're a student and you just moved to this territory or you moved to a new school and right now you're already picturing the cafeteria day one. You've got no one to sit with. You don't know anybody. 
Maybe you go to an office every day and you don't know any coworker. You got your cubicle and you just feel like you're alone. You don't have connection. There's places where you're like, I just feel alone. Let me give you a couple promises of God. Romans 8, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's another one. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. There is no such thing as being alone when you're a follower of Jesus. Listen, you might sit in seasons where you just, that becomes your prayer. Here's one that I sit in several times a year, the weight of providing. It's like this is like a, like a guy one, like this weight of I'm providing for my family. Moms and dads providing for your kids. It's the, you're laying up at night in bed going, I don't know how to juggle all this and make it keep working. It's a real thing. Let me tell you a promise of God that I pray, and this is what I lean on. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, does that immediately fix the pressure to provide? No. But it allows me to take my pressure and say, God, you promised this. This is yours. I'll sleep and you stay being God all night. Why? Because you promised it, God. Maybe that's one you just need to, in this next season, you memorize and you just take that back before God over and over again. Protection. You sit in a season where you're like, man, whether it's in business and you're trying to make, make things happen in business and you're exposed in a couple places and you're a little bit nervous about it and you're, God, what do I do with that? Let me give you some promises of God for protection. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? These are promises of God that you can claim as yours because of Jesus. Two more. Pain or loss. You never know what someone's going through when you stand in front of them because anyone can put a smile on. How you doing? I'm good. If you could read their mind, the weight people carry in this, of pain and loss, losing a loved one, losing a job, losing a friendship, losing a boyfriend or a girlfriend, like you, this pain and loss thing, here's a promise you can grab a hold of in that season. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The promise of God that it's like his ear bends towards those who are brokenhearted. His heart sort of leans towards those who are in those seasons. And that's just not a verse that your grandma knit on a quilt or on a pillow. It's a promise of God for you. And lastly, fear of the future. And if you don't have any sense of fear of the future, I don't know where you're looking and where you're living. Where's this whole thing going? Where's this country headed? Where's my future headed? What is going to happen with my kids? Like, I, don't, I don't sleep well, man. Some of us need to turn the news off and sit in some of these promises, maybe. Fear of the future. Here's a couple promises of God. Do, this is Jesus talking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here he is talking about heaven. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, the promise of Jesus is that your eternity has blessed assurance stamped on top of it. That listen, this world is broken and flawed and imperfect. And there's all kinds of things that are wrong that may never get made right until Jesus comes back. And there are things that are broken and we have things inside of us that are broken. And the promise of God is that Jesus did not leave and say, good luck. He said, I'm coming back. And while I'm gone, I'm preparing a place for you. Here's another one. And this is one of my favorite verses in scripture. When he comes back, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, he is doing a new thing. The promise of God for those of us who follow him is that, listen, there is fear in everyday moments, but there is no fear in our future. 
See, the blessed assurance that we talk about in that song in great part comes from the promises of God. And maybe you need to take July. Listen, I know July feels like it's the last month of summer and it feels like we, we sort of downshift and that's a good thing. Take your vacations. Maybe you need to take the rest of the month of July and say, God, I, I want to learn how to lean on your promises. I want to learn how to, how to pray and ask you to, to deliver on the promises you made. And you might be settling for less than God offers through his promises. So I hope you took some screenshots. I hope you write those down. But listen, let's get practical. Maybe you'll do what Fanny Crosby did, and you're just going to memorize. You're going to put those verses, and you're at the office, and you, God, you said you'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm not alone right now. You are with me. Maybe as you're laying in bed at night, you don't want to turn the light on to read the Bible, so you memorize it. God, you'll provide for all my needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. I believe that over my life, God. Maybe you'll do what my wife does, and you'll, you'll start to take those bathroom mirrors and dashboards of your car. Don't cover the speedometer. You need that. Trust me. Yeah, you, you put it on your, your fridge. Some of y'all got them tattooed. I don't know if you go that far. You can, but you, you just start writing them down and putting them everywhere to remind yourself, listen, God doesn't need to be reminded of his promises, but you need to remind your soul about his promises. Because even if he doesn't solve it in the moment, he can bring peace in the moment. See, the invitation of God that because of Jesus, Jesus' story can be your story. And because of Jesus' God's promises can be our promises. And we don't have to approach God nervously like we're borrowing his stuff. We can approach God because he said, because of Jesus, I've made a way. And you approach me with confidence and boldness, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. And the whole story is this. You might have to offer those promises for days, weeks, months, years, decades. But there will be a day in this life or the next where you look back and say, God, you were true to your word. And my prayer for this weekend was that God would take a church full of people like me, like you, and he'd simply remind us you're not a guest in his house. You're not a stranger borrowing his stuff. Because of Jesus, the king is your dad. Who's the only person that can wake up the king at 3 a.m. for a cup of water. It's his kids. And some of us are laying in our bedrooms thirsty. Because we don't want to borrow, we don't want to bother the king. And this is not a five steps to getting God to do your thing for you. It's not a three steps to claiming the promises of God and your life's going to be perfect from now on. It's not what this is. And I can't even tell you how God maneuvers it all. I just tell you that he invites us to ask. He chose to make the promises. We didn't make them up. So don't lay in your bed thirsty knock on dad's door and knock for as many nights as it takes you promised it God see we're gonna close our time together by doing something very sacred and we do this monthly and we're gonna receive communion so across the campuses go ahead and grab these now perhaps the best promise that God ever made is represented in this bread and this juice the promise that if you would believe and receive Jesus, he will forgive you. He will transform you. He will adopt you into his family. He will make you new. And your salvation is assured. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He's my savior. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe communion's got rather corporate for you over the years, and it's like do our thing, bottoms up, and you move on. And, and maybe, maybe God just wants to say, pause. Yes, we take it corporately, but it's very personal. He is your Savior. It's not good enough that I say, God, thank you for Jesus. You need to say it. So believers, as we receive this in a minute, don't make it corporate. This is personal. And maybe you're here 
across one of the campuses or 12 stone home and you've never bowed your life to Jesus. And everything I said today, it's only for people who bow their life to Jesus. So the pastors are gonna tell you how you can leave today a new creation in Christ. You can receive communion for the first time as a follower today. They'll tell you how to come up and how to lead you in that prayer. And they'll tell you that in a minute. But collectively as a church, we're going to receive communion. We're going to rest on the promise of the finished work of Jesus. And we're going to sing this song one more time as we worship that this represents what your Savior did for you. Pastors, will you lead us? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.